that six percent? It might be the cord. It's the it's the extension cord. I don't know. Yeah, it does. It slows it down. So I'm sure you see I muted everything. I muted everything. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If you're visiting with us in person or online, we're so happy to have you. Um, if you want to make your way forward, grab a seat. There's lyrics in the back, and I believe communion elements back there as well. Um, if you would stand with us, we're going to do some worship this morning. And would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Ah, God, I just thank you for this morning that you've prepared, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you that we're able to gather in person together, God. I thank you for the people joining us online, Lord. I thank you that we can all be in community together this morning. Um, I pray that you, uh, your presence would just fall upon us this morning, God. I, I pray that you would anoint Jesse as he opens up in First Timothy, Lord. And, and I pray that you would just quiet our hearts and and whatever you have to say to us, God, you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive that. In your name, amen. Sing how great. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living hope who could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, 
I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me in jesus yours is the victory hallelujah praise the one who set me free Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living hope.
Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. We lift them up, church holy. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I will build. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open 
show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me yes lord i pray that um that that song would ring true in our hearts god that we would build our lives on your love god I pray that you would bless Jesse as he delivers your word this morning, God. I pray that you would speak through him this morning. I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive that. Amen. Good morning. Give them a hand. I think they did a tremendous job this morning. Thank you, guys. I will say, Jesus! Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. Hey, uh, if you are new, um, I would love to meet you. Uh, there are... Man, there are a lot of new faces here every single week, and we are really uh, blessed to have you here. We're glad that you're here, and we want to get to know you. I know uh, in this season, it's kind of tough to get people connected uh, just because of all the, the nuance and, and weirdness that is COVID-19 and all of that, but uh, you can email us. You can actually, there's um, uh, some uh, bulletins in the front uh, when you first walked in that has a connect card on there. You can fill out some information on there. Uh, and someone will reach out to you. It's also where you can sign up for our newsletter that we send out every single week, tells you what we're doing, what we're not doing. Um, and then also you can sign up uh, for that newsletter online at sbctrucky.com. Uh, you can give online, you can do all that stuff online. We actually have a pretty good uh, social presence uh, as far as Instagram and all that stuff goes. Uh, in fact, there, we have a couple people on occasion that'll be out here taking uh, some pictures and photography, so don't mind them, just kind of let them do their thing, but they're not here uh, for a any weird reason. They're here to, uh, to just uh, capture some of the moments in the history of the life of our church. Um, a couple things, though, before we dive in. Uh, number one, I'll just say we are going to take communion today, and that is uh, when you first walked in. You can grab that during the service if you need to. Uh, we'll do that at the end of the service. And then, um, and then by way of announcements and connecting with you and what we're doing uh, and, and how we're kind of thinking, we at any moment... Uh, to be honest with you, at any moment now that we're in October, uh, at any given moment, we, we may have to move inside. So uh, I don't know how many of you saw, but it looked like for a little bit there that it was supposed to rain this coming up Sunday after this Sunday. I don't know if that's the case still, uh, but we'll communicate to you and reach out to you uh, to let you know the changes that may take place when we go in. And then obviously we know that um, soon we'll have to move inside just because it'll be too chilly out here. But But at the same time, Hey, you're trucky folks, so you got jackets, don't you? Yeah, a couple of, a couple of you have some very expensive jackets. Uh, you got blankets. You can get those little heater things, pop them open, put them in your pockets. Um, no, Sarah's saying no. Um, but when, when the time comes, uh, we're going we're gonna to move indoors, most likely with two services, it looks like. Uh, we're going to go to two services when we move inside. We'll still have, for those of you uh, who are online and you're watching online still, uh, we, we will still provide that. Uh, for those of you who are concerned about being inside, we'll still have the online uh, option for you uh, uh, that, that will be available. Um, and then when we do move inside, for those of you who are online, obviously uh, the resolution of the camera that we have inside is much better than what we're using out here. Uh, I'll just let you guys know, like to, to do uh, a live service 
outside for people online and to do what we're doing out here has been a tremendous amount of work. And so as much as I know we've loved being in one service, I've had so many people say, I love one service. I get to see everybody. I get to see who the church is uh, and, and how many people are coming and all this. And, and, and as much as we love that, uh, there's no way we could fit all of you inside in one service uh, when we do move inside. So we'll have to go to two services uh, when the snow comes and uh, we'll just pray the Lord provides for us. And then um, we're doing trunk or treat this year, but a little differently. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're actually setting up uh, like a drive-through, and there'll be little sections where each family in a car can stop throughout our parking lot and sweep in and out. Uh, and so we're still doing it. We're not doing the normal thing that we normally do. And I just want to make mention, it's not because of our concerns for COVID as much as it is that, that it takes a tremendous amount of volunteers to make trunk or treat happen. Uh, and I know some of you are new and you're like, what is trunk or treat? Well, we normally line up our whole parking lot with cars that kids can uh, dive into. Last year and the year before, well over a thousand people attend that event. It's actually one of the largest events in Truckee. Uh, and many people who don't, uh, would never step foot uh, at a church come to that event. Um, and we need a big volunteer base to make that happen. One of the ways we make that happen is Teen Challenge, uh, which actually helps uh, people re recoup and regroup through addiction and rehab. They come down here, about 20 or 30 of those guys come down here, uh, and they make that event really happen. So as much as you make it happen through your, your giving and through your service, it's those dudes who really, really make it happen. Uh, and they're in lockdown, and they can't be here. Uh, and so Brad needed to kind of pivot, make a change, uh, so that we could get, a, a, get something going here that would be good. We still need volunteers for that. So touch base with Brad. And again, uh, if you don't know who Brad is, he's the big guy up here. You can't miss him, okay? Go connect with him. He'll, uh, he'll make sure uh, that you get connected. And then Travis Owen, those of you uh, who know Travis, he runs So Ministries, uh, which serves orphans and widows in Mexico. Uh, they're they're uh, building an orphanage there. We support them. They're actually doing an online virtual silent auction this year. They normally do it in person, but they're going to do it online this year. October 9th at 6.30 p.m. So if you want to dive in and support them and buy something, uh, go to soministries.org. We'll have it in the newsletter uh, tomorrow, and you can get uh, connected there and buy something and support them. So, okay. You guys ready to start a new book of the Bible? Huh? We finished Exodus. It was like epic, wasn't it? For those of you here, it was epic. Uh, and now we're going to get into Timothy, and Timothy's epic. So here's, here's what I'm going to say as a, a disclaimer as we get into Timothy. Timothy... Timothy, really, if you, if you look on all of the stuff we've been using to kind of promote it, uh, Timothy is all about building, uh, Paul writing to Timothy is all about building the church, building God's people, and, and then building outward into the community, okay? So here's the deal. As a pastor, uh, I'm going to probably jump on a few hobby horses because the church, if you didn't know this already, the church is really, really important to me, and, and it's because I believe the church is really, really important to God. And we've got this season where, where in California, many Christians believe uh, that the church in many ways is being persecuted. And I know many of you, because I've heard it from you, have, have kind of almost asked the question, what is the church's obligation to gathering? What is the, the church's obligation to singing? What is the church's obligation to gathering and hearing the word of God and loving one another? And I'll just say, uh, you know, to, to Wayne's credit, he wrote a book several years back. Does anyone know the title of that book? The One Another Project. And it, it, the whole book is about the one another's and all of the commandments in Scripture uh, to love one another, to forgive one another. And that is the church. You have to do that 
inside of the church. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background, and, and before we do that, let's read. Uh, and as you know, we, we go through books of the Bible here. We take time to go through books of the Bible. Uh, I actually have already scheduled out all of 2021's preaching calendar for our staff. Uh, we are probably going to be, with Christmas and everything, we're probably going to be in Timothy through to about February. Uh, and then after uh, February, we're going to jump in to Habakkuk, uh, which I'm looking forward to that book as well. It'll be really timely, I think. Uh, and then we'll, we're going to do Colossians after that. So if you would, would you stand with me? And we're going to read some uh, verses here together. If, if, again, you're new, we stand because we recognize that God's Word is important. It's Him speaking to us. This is not a ritual that we do to appease God, but rather it's a tradition that we do uh, to stand and ready our hearts to hear from Him. So let's read. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's all we're reading. I know. I know you think we're not going to get through until next August, but that's all we're going to cover this morning. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the people of the church. Thank you for the community in which we live in in which the church is to be the salt and light of. Minister to us now, Lord, in Jesus' name the church said, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so Timothy, obviously I'm going to introduce a little bit the characters of Timothy and Paul. And what I'm going to focus on this morning is if you notice in verse 2, Paul says he's writing this book to Timothy. Again, we'll talk about him a little bit more in a moment. A true child in the faith. A true child in the faith. Uh, and, and really what you'll see, as Timothy says, he's the, in a true child of the faith, that Paul is a true father in the faith. And I think that the idea of fatherhood and childhood or parenthood and childhood uh, really are a reflection of who the church is. This is a foundation of what the church is. So the title of this morning's message is A True Father and a True Son in the Faith. So let me just connect with you for a moment. Let me ask you a question uh, uh, here uh, just for a little bit that you can kind of reflect and hopefully the text this morning will really minister to you and where you're at. What is your relationship like with your parents? Uh, specifically, maybe what is your relationship like with your father? What is your relationship like with your mother? What is it like now? What was it like when you were a child? Now, again, I've shared my story with you a little bit here and there. You know, my biological father uh, probably still is, as far as I know, a, a complete alcoholic. He was not around very often. Uh, I really couldn't look to him for guidance or direction. My mom married another guy, and, and, and when I, by the time I, I was around two years of age, his name was Dave, and Dave wasn't a Christian for many, many years as my stepfather. Uh, I remember my mom asking me if I would ever consider calling him my dad, and I remember having a bitter taste in my mouth. Like, I, I don't want to call him my dad. He's not, he's not my dad. I remember secretly praying as a young kid that my mom would get back together with my true biological father. But as years went on, and as my stepfather became a Christian, he became a true father to me in the best way that he could. He wasn't always around. He was kind of a workaholic before he passed away, uh, but he taught me what it meant to be a hard worker. He taught me what it meant to be uh, a man of integrity, especially in business. And he taught me how to defend myself, which is something maybe a young boy needs every now and then. He taught me how to fight. He would wrestle me to the ground and kick my butt like no other. I still have uh, some bruises still, I think, in my ribs and things. Um, and at any rate, he became a pretty good father to me. 
Nothing, obviously, like God the Father. Now, as we dive into the particular text here, there's a couple things you need to know about Paul, who is the great father of, of Timothy in a way. He's not the real biological father of Timothy, but he becomes like a father to Timothy. Timothy, like a son, he says. That he, he's like the son to me. Uh, and, and, and as we go into this, I want you to understand that Paul is really going to cover six major things in this book that Timothy needs to know as a true son. And that's what we're going to get to at the heart of this morning. Either here this morning, you're a true father in the faith, or a true son in the faith, or you're both. Now, Timothy, if you look, just look a couple chapters over. John may have read this last week, I think, a little bit, but uh, Paul gives us the reason why he wrote this book. Paul says he's writing these things that you, that's you and I, may know how we ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Uh, and John last week talked about the idea of the buttress of the truth, that the church is to stand for truth. But this is the household of God. And, and now, again, uh, uh, why, <laughs> I, I'm, again, I'm going to jump on a hobby horse and I'm preparing you for when we move indoors. That when the Bible says here that when Paul says that one of the reasons he is writing this is so that you would know how you behave where? In the household of God. Not how you operate as just a church, but inside the household of God. Paul is going to talk to us about doctrine. That's number one. That is the truth of the church. He's going to talk to us in this book about corporate worship. What does it mean to gather and to do corporate worship, which is what you're doing now? He's going to talk to us about the pastorate. That's number three. So doctrine number one, corporate worship number two, the pastorate, which is the church leadership, number three. Number four, personal godliness. Number five, your social responsibility outside of the church, especially to widows and those who do not have means. And then number six, godliness is not a means of financial gain. So what is the church's overall attitude towards material possessions? Those are the six things. Let me summarize it even more simply, because if you're like me, I like simple things. That's a, uh, that's a list of six. That's too many. Those of you who are taking notes, you're already like, he went too fast. Could you slow down? So let me give you three simple ways to, to describe what this book will cover. The message of the church, the members of the church, the ministers of the church, and the ministry of the church. Did I go too fast? Some of you don't care. There's four instead of six. So much more simple, right? <laughs> so like it's still too many. Uh, the message of the church, the members of the church, the ministers of the church, the ministry of the church. Paul is going to be teaching Timothy, his young son, as a father, what does it look like to be the church? What is the church all about? How should the church operate? Who are we? What is our identity? Uh, and we talk about this every now and then. The church has to continually ask the question, who are we and why do we do what we do? Because if you, if you don't answer that question, you can end up in all kinds of pitfalls. One of the things that, that has happened in this season is that when, when the government has been talking about how the church fits within its gatherings, the church has been included in theaters and entertainment venues and concerts. Now, you know what that tells me? It tells me that the government, unfortunately, doesn't know the purpose of the church. Are we a concert? No. Are we a movie theater for entertainment? No. We're none of those things. We're the church. So the church fits in its own unique category that God has ordained for His people, and we have to recognize that when we have public, public authorities 
public health individuals telling us certain things about the church, we have to understand that they don't understand what the church is. It's one of the reasons why we're covering this topic in the midst of COVID-19, because it's going to be important for you to recognize how God desires His people to gather and be, especially in moments of crisis, especially in moments of hardship. What you will see, and I, I believe that history is replete with this time and time again, you will never see God tell His people not to gather. You're not going to see it anywhere in Scripture. In fact, you're going to find words like, especially in the Old Testament, the assembly, the gathering, the coming together, okay? Why? Because something happens to our souls that's more important than even our own physical well-being. You are an eternal creature created for an eternal life, and we are told that the body in which you possess will decay. Is anybody experiencing some decay this morning? All right, Mavis, I appreciate your honesty. You don't look a day over 25. I'll be honest. You look great. Beautiful woman. She's single, by the way, guys. Single. Um, so Paul's telling us about the church, what the church is, and he's like a father come to this son. Now, Paul, as the father, let's remember who Paul is. Paul is super educated. He had a moment where he didn't believe in Jesus. He was actually a terrorist of the church. He murdered Christians. That's who he was. Uh, in fact, just so you know, for those of you who, who love to defend the faith, Paul's conversion is one of the greatest arguments that Jesus actually lived, died, and rose again from the dead. It's one of our greatest points of saying, we know that Jesus uh, truly was who he was because you got a guy who didn't believe in Jesus, who was actually at the top of the heap of the mountain in his Hebrew faith, and he turned, he switched teams, right? This is like a Niner fan becoming a Raider fan. Wow, notice, notice how almost violent it got in here, okay? What? Okay, this, this, you don't switch teams easily. In fact, I listen to a radio program on occasion. They walk through a whole thing every now and then during the football season about certain rules if you're ever going to switch a team. You can't switch teams. And Paul was on a team that he was entrenched in, he was raised in, it was his culture. He was so passionate and vigorous about his faith that he was killing Christians because he believed that Christians were heretics. Now, what's interesting is he later gets saved. We know on the road of, to Damascus, Jesus speaks to him, Jesus converts him, he takes time to go get discipled. We have a silent period of Paul for a little while as he's allowing the gospel to be infused in all of his Ten Commandments and all of the Torah. And then he starts running around all over the place in different locations. That's why we have the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians and the book of Philippians, all labeled after cities, Philippi, Colossae, Ephesus, which is where, where Timothy is. And what is he doing? He's converting people. He's training up leaders. And he's installing them in leadership. Okay, now if you go through the book of Acts where we read a lot of Paul's journeys, you'll recognize that many of these Christians were a little bit hesitant to allow Paul into their house. In fact, at one moment we see some of the disciples go, there's no way, there's no way Paul's a Christian. There's no, there's no way. And yet, through a period of, of walking through the faith, through journeying, and, and Paul himself being 
persecuted begins to reach people for Jesus. Can we just say, here's this father in the faith who wasn't a Christian, becomes a Christian, and actually church history tells us a little bit about Paul's demeanor, okay? This gives me some hope. He was short. He was bald. He had a little bit of a beat-up face, and he kept getting beat up for the cross, Now, can you step into church history for a moment, this father of the faith, this guy who has reached so many people for Jesus and builds up the church, that it is very possible that Paul and Timothy may be one of these individuals. Paul began to disciple children of the parents that he murdered. You ever thought about that? That Paul quite likely could have brought and discipled young people to the Lord of family members that he had killed. Now, now, let me just take a moment to say this. The church should always be a place that practices radical, almost ununderstandable grace amongst its people. That God is big to forgive. Amen? Well, you should resonate with this. And if you don't resonate with this, this is not the church for you. Because we are not a church of, of laws and do's and don'ts. We are a church of, that, that wants to build people have a relationship with Jesus that's bigger than your sin, that forgives and loves one another regardless of your other, other views of the world. Jesus is the center of it all. So this great father of faith, I want you to do me a favor. I want to introduce you to the place in which Paul is introduced to Timothy. Because Paul doesn't know Timothy yet. And so if you will, go to Acts chapter 14. And there's this place uh, called Lystra. Paul visits Lystra, and uh, it's one of his missionary journeys, so he's traveling around. Now remember, eventually, Paul will actually install Timothy in a place called Ephesus, which is where Timothy occurs. Now, in Lystra, if you go to verse 8, you'll see there's a man sitting there He couldn't use his feet, so he's disabled. He's crippled. The text actually tells us that he was crippled from birth and that he has never walked. And this gentleman who can't walk, he's listening to Paul speak, and he's looking at Paul intently. And then all of a sudden, he saw that his faith, if he had faith, he could be made well. And he said, Paul said, looking at this guy, knowing that if this guy had faith that he could walk, knowing this guy was listening to the words of God, Paul says in a loud voice, stand on your feet. This is a great church service to be a part of, yeah? He sprang up, he began to walk. And the crowds that saw that Paul had done this, they lifted up their voices, and in their own language they said, look at this, look at at Paul. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, who was with Paul, what did they call him? They called him Zeus. They called Paul Hermes because he was the speaker. Verse 13, and the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, they brought oxen, garlands to the gates, and they wanted to sacrifice They wanted to sacrifice with the crowds. You see what happened here. Paul, Paul is being used by God to heal this man in this place called Lystra, and the, the, the people of Lystra are like, these are gods, so they name them. They're like, they've come in the flesh. This is Zeus. Zeus has visited us. So they bring sacrifices, and listen to what Paul says. True father in the faith, he says this. um, Verse 14, when Paul and Barnabas heard of it, they tore their garments. They rushed into the crowd saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you 
we bring you good news that you should turn from these veins, some of your texts might say, worthless things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So Paul's encountered with these worthless idols. He's telling these individuals he's just a man. And then look at verse 19. Remember, Paul was a Jew. He was a leader as a Jew. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Do you know that's 100 miles away from Lystra? This is how much Paul was a threat to the Hebrews. 100 miles away, these guys travel without a Tesla, by the way, because that's as far as they can go, 100 miles. And having persuaded the crowds, what did they do to Paul? They dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. Travel 100 miles away, because that's the thing you do, right? They don't have guns. There's no gun issues in, in, in the New Testament here. Gun laws, there's no gun laws. There's just rocks, okay? Can't pass, a, can't pass a law on rocks as far as I know. Some guys got fully automatic, you know, they <laughs> and they throw them at Paul. They, they hit him in the head, which is one of the reasons why he probably was bald and looked beat up. And then the disciples, listen what they did. They leave him outside of the city. In verse 20, the disciples gather about him. Then what does he do? He rises up into the city, and on the next day, he went to, with Barnabas to Derby. In verse 21, when they preached the gospel there, then they returned to Lystra. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Okay, this is my son Jonah. This is what he does. My son Jonah is just like this. I've never stoned my child, by the way. But he's my son that, that, that wants to wrestle with dad, and, and I'll wrestle with him up to a certain moment, right? And if you're a father, you know, you wrestle with your child, you, you, you bond with them in that way if you're a guy. And, and, and then at a certain point, you know, because I'm 42, I don't want to wrestle for two hours. I'm starting to get a little sweaty and uncomfortable. And so I start to kind of lay into them to make them want to quit. Come on, dads, anyone else do this? Please don't tell me I'm alone. You're saying, stop abusing your child. That's what I'm going to hear after this. I'll send them. And then eventually he gets to the point, he goes, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And then he runs off, and then what does he do two minutes later? He keeps coming. So i got to keep getting more violent. And he just keeps coming. This is what Paul does. He's so passionate about the faith of God that he still goes back to the city in which he was persecuted. Look at what, the, the, what is being accomplished in verse 22. They strengthen the souls of the disciples, encourage them in the faith, saying that through Many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then, this is part of the church's job, when they appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord, and they believed. Now go to Acts chapter 16, still connected with Lystra. So Paul goes back to Derby and Lystra, and in chapter 16, that is where Paul meets Timothy, and he says, if you have time to read it, he says to Timothy, I want you to join me, and he does. Let me say a couple things about this text and about a true father in the faith, okay? Number one, let me just say this. Notice what Paul says about the idols in which the people worship in the city. He says they're vain. A better translation, I believe, is it's, he says they're worthless. They're worthless. Now, remember, the Lystrans, I don't know if that's how you actually say it. Is that how you would say it, Brad? The Lystrans? Sure, why not? Say it with confidence, anybody will believe it. If you put it on the internet, they'll believe it even more. So the Lystrans, they, they actually, if you look, you can see their faith was in all kinds of gods. Like that was their tradition. They worshiped Zeus, they worshiped Hermes, 
They worshiped many, many gods. Paul comes into this city, and he tells them that their gods are worthless. That's pretty offensive, huh? What if, what if I told you this morning that which you worship is worthless? What if I told you all the skiing that you're living for is worthless? All the mountain biking you're doing is worthless. All of the work you're doing is worthless. In fact, in fact, there's a whole book. It's kind of a depressing book if you read the whole thing until you get to the end. And Ecclesiastes says that everything you do in life is vain. It's all vain. It's like vapor. It's like smoke. You can't grab it because it never fulfills until we get to this place where we recognize that what we need to be doing is obeying the Lord. Here's what I want to say in our day and age. As Christians, we have no choice but to be offensive. Now, this rubs against everything that maybe many of you have been raised with. Right? The church has got to be this seeker-friendly thing. My friends, I don't think that's true anymore. I think to be seeker-friendly now more than any time is to water down the gospel, to water down what our culture really, really needs. I think we're entering into a season where the church has no other choice but to actually be the church. Is it offensive to say that Jesus is the only way in which one can go to the Father? Yeah. In fact, I was at dinner the other night, and, and a gal literally asked me those questions. Do you believe that, that unless you worship Jesus, that you're going to go to hell? And in those moments, I like to say, I don't like to do this. I'm like, well, I believe. That's the worst thing you can say. Who cares what you believe? What Jesus says, and Jesus was God, Jesus says, that no one can see the Father unless they believe in the Son and they've seen the Son. Nobody gets to heaven but through the Father, which is God. See, Jesus makes the claim that there is only one way to being in a reconciled relationship with God, and that is through the person and the Godhead that is part of the Trinity, who is also Yahweh, who says, if you remember, remember when we were in Exodus, we studied how how. Moses was told to tell Pharaoh, the great I am has sent you. And if you go into the book of John, you'll find several places. We're actually going to go through it during Advent, several places where Jesus actually says, I am. I am the I am. Jesus is telling us, I'm the God who brought the people out of Pharaoh's grip. I'm the only God. I'm the true God. In fact, in this conversation the other night, and I love these kind of conversations, I resonate with them, I, I enjoy them. Uh, she said, she, I, I mentioned how as Christians, we're only saved by grace and grace alone and that we can't earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to get to God. And she said, yeah, that is one of those things that's unique about Christianity, isn't it? She, she knew this. She said, she said all, all the other religions teach that you have to be good to get to heaven. See, you've heard me say this before. It's just the best way to say it. We do indeed get to heaven through good works, just not yours. We get to heaven through the works of Jesus Christ. And if we place our faith in Him, He is good and faithful to save us. If we put our trust in Jesus, He saves us. My, my friends, this is what the church is built upon. This is what Timothy is being taught by, by Paul as a true father in the faith. So let me just say, if you want to be a father in the faith, here's a couple things that you need to do. And I pray that if you are older in any way whatsoever, you would take these four encouragements and you would brace them as yours. Number one, you've got to speak passionately about Jesus. You have to remind your followers not to follow you, but to follow Jesus. Number two, you have to be willing to take a beating for the gospel. 
Paul was willing to take a beating for the gospel. We're going to be moving indoors. Like I said, in many ways, when we move indoors, I'm already gearing up to take a beating for the gospel. What is my job as a pastor? What is your job as a Christian? I can tell you, for the elders of the church, we have one specific role that God has called us to do as elders and teachers in the church. That is to teach you and equip you that you are to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you're to know Him and love Him. And you have to be willing to take a beating for the gospel when other people are telling you, you've got to talk about voting. You've got to talk about masks and no masks. You've got to, you've got to talk about Gavin Newsom. You've got to talk about who to vote in. You've got to talk about all these side issues. No, I don't. I've got to talk about Jesus. It's too easy in our day and age to be distracted by the political, by the virus, by, by the, 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 all of the different things that are out there on the internet to see. Forget the internet. Get in the Word. And get into the arms of Christ. Number three, you've got to be willing to strengthen souls and encourage faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why we need to gather. Because you will become strong in your faith by hearing the words of Jesus. Are you with me this morning? The Bible actually says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God and in fact, I believe that the virus actually attacks people who are stressed out, freaked out, and scared. Science backs this up, by the way. That if you're fearful and you're anxious and you're stressed, you know what that does to your immune system? You're more vulnerable. What helps us not to be more vulnerable? We're courageous and we're strong. We're not concerned about the physical as much as the spiritual. Are you with me? I want you to leave here encouraged every Sunday. I want you to I want to erode, erode the fear that the media is trying to instill in you. And when I say media, when I say politics, you know what I really mean? I really mean what the Bible says in that, in that what it teaches is that there's a system in the world that's being led in this world by Satan himself. You know who's trying to make you fearful and scared? Satan. Jesus does not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, does he? He gives us courage, strength. A couple of things I want you to see about leadership just from what we've read. I want you to see that elders appoint elders. This is just teaching stuff for you who calls to your Bible church home. Elders appoint elders. Paul appointed elders in every church. That's leaders in the church, pastors in the church. But Paul doesn't do it by himself. Acts 20, 28 also says that it's the Holy Spirit's job who does that. And that Jesus plants the church and that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church and that Jesus died for his church. Now, the church is important. Remember, I told you this book is, is teaching doctrine and truth and building us up because we need to be built up correctly because the church is under attack. Now, I've mentioned a few things about the culture pushing in on the church. I've felt that. I've told friends, I feel like culture's pushing in on the church. But you know, the Bible actually doesn't warn about just the world's pressure on the church. But the Bible also warns about pressure inside the church. Have you heard this one before? Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul says, after leaving one of his churches, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Where do bad leaders come from? Where do wolves come from, according to this text? You. 
you. Our biggest threat that Paul would say isn't, isn't just from the outside culture, but it's allowing people in the church to get your eyes off of Jesus and on other issues. Do you hear me this morning? Tune in for a moment longer. I know you're like, okay, some of this stuff bores me. I like it when you talk about your kids. The church has a propensity to be led astray by other people in the church. And this is a season where, where people in the church unintentionally have gotten other people in the church off of, their, off, the, off of Jesus, their Savior. Think about your conversations in the last several months with your friends, with your family members. How many of those conversations have oozed the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many of those conversations have been a rallying point around the personhood of Jesus Christ? How many of those conversations have, have left you leaving uh, that conversation feeling elevated that God is more glorious than you could ever think or imagine, that God is more forgiving than you could ever think or imagine, that God is bigger than anything you could think or imagine? How many of those conversations have you had in the last several months? I would dare to say that many of them probably have gotten off focus. It's been about a lot of other things other than Jesus. You know what my encouragement is this morning? Do everything you can in the next several months to turn every conversation you're a part of back to the person of Jesus, back to the gospel. Which leads me to Timothy, and then we'll close. Timothy's a true son. What's it like to be a true son? Just so you know, we're actually told in Acts chapter 6 that Timothy was both Jewish and he was Greek. Later, Paul will actually ask Timothy to be circumcised as a young man so that he can minister to the Hebrews. So his mom raises him along with his grandmother, and by the text of what we read, it seems to be that his father has died. So Timothy is a, a guy who hasn't had a father figure in his life for who knows how long. And this father in the faith comes alongside of him and says, I want you to journey with me. Timothy's young, he, he's religiously mixed. And then he joins along with Paul, and we're told a couple very interesting things about Timothy. Acts chapter 16 says that Paul came to Derby, Lystra. This is where they met. And Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. This is what it says about Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and then he got circumcised, and then the churches were strengthened in their faith. I don't know if you remember I read that earlier. The churches were strengthened in their faith. Not their fear, their faith. So what do we learn about Timothy? Number one, if you want to be, if you're younger here, okay, or if you're someone who wants to be a leader, even if you're older, because the, the idea of younger doesn't necessarily just translate with, with your age. It could be where you're at in your faith. So if you're younger in your faith, here's a couple things that you need to work on. Number one, work on your rep reputation. You notice what it says? The other leaders in Acts said that he was well spoken of. The best thing you can do as a young leader is build a reputation of consistency. Be consistent. If you are young in the faith, you desire leadership, let me ask you a question. Do the elders know you? And do they think highly of you? What have you shown in the last several months that you're a true child of the faith? 
1 Peter 5 says, You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves with humility, for God opposes the proud. So, so if you want to be a leader, you've got to start serving. You've got to be known. I mean, this is something we have to fight. You, you, know, you know how hard it's been for us as leaders to be consistent in a very inconsistent season? But that's what makes leaders leaders. They're consistent, consistent in the message of Jesus, consistent in showing up and serving, consistent in trial or tribulation, consistent. Number two, they're trustworthy. He's a true child. Paul can trust Timothy with money, leadership, dealing with heretics, nut jobs, and weirdos. He can deal with messes. He drops Timothy into this certain place, and he's faithful to untangle problems that have risen in the church. And so Paul calls him his true son three times. Wayne and I have had that relationship over the years, a true father and a true son. Wayne Wayne literally gave his baby, which is this church, into my leadership. And you know why I'm in my leadership position? I just kept showing up every day. I just kept being here. And then God made it clear this is what we're supposed to do. Paul says of Timothy in Philippians, I hope hope to send Timothy soon to you, for I have no one as like-minded as him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. Do you hear that? The like-mindedness, the sameness. Timothy was willing to be the number two guy. That's another lesson. Be willing to be number two. And he's willing to join the journey with Paul, and he's willing to take a beating. And notice, Paul didn't need seminary school for Timothy. He needed Timothy to be present with him to learn how to do ministry. He became a true child in the faith so that the church would continue to survive and not just survive but actually thrive. So here's what I want to do in closing. The worship team can come up and get your communion. And as we close, I think I kind of want to wrap a bow around this in this way. Obviously, the first thing I would want you to try to walk away with is that there is descriptions for what a true church is supposed to be like. And this is a season where I want you to be thinking, what is it like to be part of a church? And when I say To be part of a church, can I be clear that I'm not talking about being part of an institution, but a part of a community? Are you with me on that? I don't want to be an institution. I don't want to be all about tradition. I want to be at a community of people who know that they have a desperate need for Jesus' healing and forgiveness, and we rally around that forgiving and healing and forgiveness that He gives us, and we worship Him in gratitude and thankfulness that He loves us in spite of us. Amen? What does it look like to be a true... And just so you know, inside of this, it means there is correct descriptions for right leadership and what we should be preaching and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. I want you to be studying these things. Dive in to Timothy in the next few uh, months with us. Read along, study along, get involved in there. And then number two, I want to ask you, is God impressing upon you maybe to step up in your faith and be a better father in the church? Remember I said it's about community? It's even more than community. It's about family. What is God doing in your life right now that we wouldn't just survive, but we would thrive in the season? That that if we're going to survive, we need people in the church who are true fathers in the faith. You know, I'm right at that age where I'm moving away from sonship into fatherhood. I've needed a good father in my life. I've needed consistency. I've needed discipleship. I've needed experience. And I'll still always need those things, 
But now God's calling, you need to equip the next generation. That's what I got to do for the next 20 years. I got to equip the next generation that the church would thrive and survive, to be a father in the faith, to pass on passionately who Jesus is. How would you do that? How would you serve? How would you disciple? How would you come alongside young men in the church to equip them or young women in the church? The women in their mentorship program are doing a great job in this. John, who's going to start his study on Friday, is going to do a great job in this. And then secondly, if you feel you're younger in your faith, are you willing to be a true child in faith? Are you willing to come alongside of a Paul? Or if you're a gal, come alongside a, a, a strong woman and be willing to take some beatings? You know, hey, November, December, January, February, we're going to take some beatings, I think. People look at me and they go, your shoulders are big enough to carry it. <laughs> and I am. Only because God is with me. Only because I care more about what God says about the church than what people say about the church. Only because I know that the Lord's going to carry me through that season. It's a time for us as a church to stand up and say, you know what? We've got to be about the gospel. We've got to sing. Don't tell me I can't sing to Jesus. That's my Savior. He's worthy of my praise, the Bible says. The church is to declare out loud. You know what the gospel means? That word gospel literally means to declare good news. You can't declare good news with your mouth shut, folks. The gospel, by definition, is a proclamation of good news that must be yelled aloud, and at times there will be some spittle because I'm passionate about who Jesus is. So I would pray that you would join us in that journey of not being fearful, of not allowing other leaders that are secular to tell you how to be as a church, that you would stand up in faith and that you would pray in this next season, Lord, would you tell me who we're supposed to really be as a church? We've said it. We've got a statement here. We use it often. Follow Jesus, make disciples. Follow Jesus, make disciples. And when this church is gone, we'll leave behind what Jesus left behind. You know what Jesus left behind? Disciples. And so we come to the true Father. Maybe you're like me. Someone last night over dinner said, you know what's true about family? Family screws you up. You know what screws you up even more? Not having a family. We need to have a family that's imperfect, but that rallies behind the perfect father. You know what the heart of it? Most of us here are orphans. Not really part of a spiritual family until Jesus called us home. And then he made us family. Would you do me a favor? Would you look to your neighbor? And would you say, you're my brother, you're my sister? And you look the other way, tell you're my brother, you're my sister. Hey, you see somebody, did somebody not tell you that you're a brother or sister? I think you saw a couple down here. You guys down there, you're my brother and sister. Did you know that? Yeah, I'm looking at you. You're like, he's talking to me. <laughs> Whoa, Jesus just saved you, dude, with a tent. Oh, my gosh. That was incredible. Seriously, dude, that would have hit you in the head. Okay, everyone get out of the tents quick. 
<laughs> oh man, you pretty you wouldn't have been my brother there if that wouldn't have been there. We're part of a family. You're family. You know it's really hard to be family if you're not seeing family. You know it's really hard to be a part of a family if you don't serve alongside your family. You know what's really making my children feel like they're part of the family? We make them do the dishes. We make them help with dinner. Why? Because you're part of the family. If you weren't part of the family, we wouldn't make you do things that are part of the family. You know what my kids say when, whenever I make them pick up something that's their brother or sister? Sisters? Well, that's not mine. I didn't do it. I don't care. It's our home. We all take care of it. Do you know how many messes I pick up that aren't my messes? You know how many messes of yours I picked up you didn't know it? You want to be connected to this family? You got to be involved in this family. You got to get to know people. You got to serve them. You got to love them. You got to wrestle through. You got to take some punches so that you can be a true child in the faith. Because there are, just so you know, there's some really good fathers in the faith in our church. Did you know that? There are. And so we rally under the true father. We have to look to him first. No father in the faith will be able to disciple you as well as the true father of our faith, the one who birthed us through the death and resurrection on the cross and through the grave, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? The Bible commands us, and I don't even sometimes like using those words, but because it's really not a command, but He invites us to partake in communion with Him. When we partake of the bread that represents His body and the juice that represents His blood, He's inviting us to the table to eat with Him to be near to Him, to be intimate with Him. Jesus would never, ever socially distance Himself from you. Jesus would not wear a mask with you. He is perfect in every way. He's the healer of our souls. And He invites you into this intimate relationship. The door is open. All you have to do is believe in faith that He is the true Son of God. And he tells us in that invitation to partake of this body, to remember that it was broken for you, and to partake of this juice that is his blood, that you recognize that his perfect blood was shed for the remission of your sins, to remove your sins from you. And communion is the ultimate invitation to be one with Jesus as God is one with the Father. True family. Jesus, as we partake now, we thank you for the sacrifices you have made that we would be made one with you. We thank you. We love you. We worship you. We ask you, I ask you, to continue to keep us centered on what it is to be a true church, a true father, a true child, a true mother, a true daughter of the faith. Lord, would we not, please, God, don't let us be persuaded by all the junk that's being shoved down our throats but rather would your spirit be strong amongst your people. Lord, let your voice be loud to us even when it is quiet, 
that we would hear from you, Lord, that we could stand truly not in fear, but in deep radical faith, which brings the true healing that we all need, which is the healing of what it is to be filled with sin. Thank you that that is open to us all. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may partake. Jesus is so good to us. Amen. We love you. We care for you. We're here for you. We're not trying to build a kingdom to ourselves. We're trying to build a kingdom unto God that brings him all the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are no equal now and forever God you reign yours is the kingdom yours is the glory
Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of We're going to sing one last song together, guys. So sing it out. Don't be shy. same a prodigal returned all my hope is in Jesus thank God that yesterday's gone all my sins are forgiven I've been stranger to the prison I've worn shackles and change I've been free and forgiven yes I have I'm not going back I'll never be the same that's why I say all my hope is Thank God that yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. There's a kind of thing that just breaks me. Break him down to his knees God, I've been broken more than a time or two Yes, Lord Then he picked me up And showed me what it means to be a man Come on and sing All my hope is in Jesus Yes, it is Thank God my yesterday's gone 
all my sins are forgiven yes they are I've been washed by the blood come on and say oh my hope is in Jesus yes thank God that yesterday has gone Sins my sins are, are forgiven. forgiven, yes. I've been, been washed by the blood. Oh, and I've, I've been, been washed by the blood. And I've been washed by the blood. Amen. Can we? celebrating that we pray you guys have a blessed day thank you for coming to celebrate let's uh, go into the world create disciples remember that you are forgiven and let's uh, be on mission for him amen hey have a blessed day take care guys collecting candy this year. That way it's, it's only coming from one source and that people ask Good job, Fearless Leader Marley. Yes, good job, Marley. So I'm just going to go collect all the candy myself. So I haven't Thank you.